All right, so today, um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Austin Basil. I am one of the pastors here. <laughs> we are going to be continuing in James. We're going to be in James 1. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up there. James 1, 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew back in front of you. And um, if you don't have one that you own, that is our gift to you. Um, so before we get into this word this morning, let, uh, let us pray one more time. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this great honor and privilege to even be here. Lord, to be a part of uh, this team, this family here at Oasis. Um, God, this morning I pray that you would just give, give all of us the eyes to see, and the ears to hear what your word is speaking to us today. God, I pray that you just illuminate this to us in, in a supernatural way. Lord, that this is not any other book. Lord, this is your living and active word that's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, I pray that you would just pierce us with this this morning. Uh, Lord, that this would be applied to our lives. God, I pray most of all that as, as I'm speaking, you would give me your words. Lord, because the truth is I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the speaking ability um, to do this. Lord, I just need your spirit to speak through me, Lord. Lord thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, I wanted to open up with a quote here. I think Abby can throw it up there for us. And it is by A.W. Tozer. He says, God only uses, never uses anyone unless he first tests them deeply. God never uses anyone unless he first tests them deeply. And we're going to see, uh, as we kind of dig in here to James this morning, how that's true, how that's been true uh, throughout the ages um, from the beginning of God's relationship with people, he has tested those that he uses and tested them in a profound way. So let's take a look at uh, verse 13 here, uh, down to 17. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Amen. So testing. We're going to talk about God testing his people. Um, I hate to break it to you. I know testing's not always fun. Um, I know Eric talked a lot about that last week. I'm kind of going to uh, just breeze through this, but it's a part of life. Testing happens. Um, if, if you're alive today, you've probably been through some testing, but I want to look at kind of why, the why of what, how God tests people, the purpose in him testing people. And simply it's this. His purpose is to strengthen their character, to strengthen yours and my character, and see if they will trust him, if they will follow his way. 
plain and simple, to see if, if we are going to trust him, to see if we are going to follow his ways and knowing that his ways are better than our ways, if we're going to humble ourselves and have those ears to listen. And we can trust and we can know that Romans 8.28 Therefore, we know God works all things to the good of those that love him. Those are called according to his purpose. He has our best interests at heart in these tests. So I was reading an article um, earlier this week, and it was, I'm kind of a, a space nerd, so I was reading about the space shuttle, the new space shuttle, the Orion space shuttle. Um, it's going to be like the one they're going to try to go to Mars with. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, but they, they go through rigorous testing, rigorous quality control testing, so much so that they actually make two versions of it, two identical versions. They send one out to Colorado Springs, and then they send one to Florida to actually be used, and they test that. Um, and I was reading through like the kind of lists that they test. I mean, they, they do pressure tests. They just subject it to immense pressures that it's going to experience as it's traveling through the atmosphere and as it's out in space. They, they put it under intense heat. They just blow uh, crazy hot jets of flame onto, the, onto like each and every panel individually to make sure that that one's not going to be the one that fails and blows off and causes the whole thing to explode. They do resonance tests where they attach things that vibrate and see the frequencies to make sure nothing's going to come loose. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing all the things that they go through. It takes uh, actually like several months to complete all the tests. And to pass, passing is actually is just that it survives, that it just makes it. Uh, obviously, if it blows up, that's a fail. Um, and they realize that there's a problem, and uh, they kind of start from scratch in that area. So as I was thinking about how God tests people, I thought, that's, that's pretty similar. You know, I can think of some of those times where God has turned up the pressure or the temperature in my life to see if I'm going to follow his ways. And we can actually even look back in Scripture, and I want to take a look at um, Abraham in Genesis 22 with Isaac, right? So a lot of us know the story. If you don't know the story, here's what happened in a nutshell. Uh, so God is going to use Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. I'm going to make you a nation. All these things, your offspring, are going to be uh, uncountable like the grains of sand. But at this point, he doesn't have any offspring, right? So then God blesses him with a son in his old age, Isaac. And, uh, you know, I can just imagine in my young age, I have a son, and he's just the most amazing thing. Um, so I just imagine, you know, as, as an old man, having that blessing is even more profound. And uh, then God says, Abraham, are you going to trust me? I want you to go up to the mountain. I want you to make a sacrifice. And and Abraham says, you know, what are we going to sacrifice? And God says, don't worry, I'm going to provide that sacrifice. So they go up there. He brings Isaac. Um, he puts Isaac on the altar. And then we know before he does that, God says, wait, look, I've got, the angel of the Lord actually comes and says, wait, look, there is a sacrifice. And there was a ram that God had provided. And they sacrificed the ram. But God was testing Abraham to see if he would follow him over his own desires, over his own love for his child. Abraham passed that test. He succeeded. Then we see later in Exodus, Exodus 16 actually, all of Israel, 
right? So at this point, the, the, uh, the kind of the fruit that Abraham uh, succeeded is, is seeing that Israel exists now, the nation of Israel exists, right? They've come out of Egypt, um, they're in the desert with Moses, and, uh, and what do they do? They, they're complaining already, right? Um, now, they have just seen God do all these miracles in Egypt. There was plagues. There was parting the sea. There's all these, like, just amazing cloud of fire um, at night, cloud during the day leading them. And they get in the desert, and then they start to rebel against Moses and say, why would you bring us out here? What is God going to do with us? Did he take us to this place in the desert just to kill us? Um, and I've been reading through my, my Bible plan uh, to try to do the Bible in a year, and like just Israel, time and time again, this is like their theme. It's like God does all these amazing things for them. They start complaining about it. They get in trouble, and then they repent and they go back to God. And uh, so they're they're complaining. They don't have anything to eat now, right? And God's like, "Don't worry. I'm going to send you manna. You're going to pick it up in the morning. There's going to be plenty. Don't worry about it. Don't take too much because it's not going to work. Just trust me in this that I'm going to provide for you." I've said you're my people. I'm going to take you where I have for you to go. So, but they don't. Um, and then they said, we want to go back to Egypt. You know, we had all these things in Egypt. We had places to sleep. We had uh, meals, you know, that were provided for us. And, and they were tempted. Like I said, I'm, I was, at this point, I was like, frankly, fed up with Israel. And, you know, God says a couple times to Moses, he's like, look, just let my wrath burn against them. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Forget them. I'm like, yes, God, let's do that. I would have been just all on board with that. But that's the amazing thing I love about Moses that I was seeing is like, Moses is like, no, 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 God, God, God. Remember your promise testing for Moses, right? Don't wipe them out. Remember your promise. God remembered his promise, right? It was a test for Moses when Israel's rebelling. They're tempted to go back to Egypt. So let's look at temptation. That's the next kind of section we see here in James. Kind of the big, the main, the meat of this uh, passage here. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one himself. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. So, I hate to break it to you, temptation's a part of life. Temptation is also one of those things we're gonna face, as a, especially as a follower of Jesus, every, every day, if not like hourly or by the minute. There's gonna be temptation. But the truth is God never, God never tempts anyone to sin. Though I imagine like Israel, we're all pretty quick to play the blame game. Not you, Israel, like the nation of Israel. <laughs> we play the blame game, right? We say, oh, you know, well, ah, this, just all these things, you know, this person made me do this. If they hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have had to do this. Or, you know, we say, well, you know, my kids were just driving me nuts. I had to respond this way. This person at work is a jerk or they cut me off on the road. I had to react in such a way. It's their fault that I sinned, Right? Or what about this one? This is the one I, I think we, we really like here. Um, oh, the devil made me do it. Anybody heard that one? <laughs> it's like, I just want to stop people when they say, like, hold on. Do you mean like literally the devil took control of you and 
that doesn't happen. I mean, if you, that happens, you have a whole lot of other issues, and never mind. We don't have time for that right now. But the truth is, Satan does tempt people, right? We see that from the very beginning. Sinned against God. What was the, what was the very first thing Adam said? This woman you gave me. <laughs> it's like, Adam, you're in charge. <laughs> but Satan does tempt people like we see in the garden. He's the father of lies. He's the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Peter says he prowls around like a lion searching for someone to devour. But get this. Satan's main tool for temptation is what? Our own desire. Thank you. Yeah. It's our own desires. He says, um, but each person is tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own desires. It's our sinful nature that lures us away. All he needs to do is divert or distract us, right? All he needs to do is grab our attention and then we're lured away. We're gone because those are our desires. That's what we are seeking after. And lest we think, you know, more of ourselves than we should, Romans 3 tells us pretty clearly um, that, that no one is good. No one seeks God. We all seek our own desires in and of ourselves unless the Holy Spirit does a work of redemption in us that transforms us, gives us a new heart that desires the things of God and hates the things we used to love. So I have something here I was going to try to um, help us kind of get a picture of this. People saw me in the tree earlier. I had a plan. I wasn't just hiding. So this is my fishing rod, and this is a big old shiny lure. And uh, just so you guys in the back can see, I'm going to, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but take a look at that lure. It's shiny. I imagine if I was like a rockfish, it would look delicious. It's colorful. It has a thing on the end where when it's going through the water, it kind of swims and, and looks like a fish, looks attractive. There's a lot of other ones they have, you know, brightly colored ones with gold that flash through the water. Silver ones that kind of do the same thing. That one doesn't have that many hooks. I should have used that one. And Satan uses all those different aspects. Maybe it's the flashiness. Maybe it's the glitter of life that diverts our attention. Maybe it's that this is what we think we need. This is where our next meal is going to come from. And I imagine that's how a lot of uh, fish have met their end. They're like, oh, look, here, here's, here's another thing for me to eat. This is my next meal. But then they're hooked. They take the bait. Satan uses, whoa. <laughs> it got me earlier. <laughs> Satan uses any and all of those things in his repertoire of our innate sinful desires to lure us away. Take a look back at Israel's temptation, right? It's to go back to Egypt. Why? It's where their basic needs were met. 
You know, they, they talk about like, yeah, sure, we were oppressed by the Egyptians, but at least we had onions and leeks, right? Uh, so great reason to go back to Egypt, obviously. Um, now that probably wouldn't have worked on most of us unless it was like steak or pizza. But the question is, so what's your lure? What's your personal lure? What part of this attracts you to take the bait? What is it that you run to or seek after over trusting God with every single part and detail of your life? Not like, notice how I said that? Every single part, not just the some parts that we bring on Sunday, but I mean like the all-encompassing life that we do day in and day out. What, what part of that haven't you trusted? Instead, there's, you're seeking something to satisfy, something that looks good, that's luring you away from God. Maybe it's money, right? That's the easy one, I think, for a lot of us successful uh, working Americans. You know, if we have the money, we can just put in the time, we can do it, we're set. Maybe it's family. That's an easy one. I just really started to get that recently. That became real to me a couple months ago. Man, family's an amazing thing to have. It's just something awesome about holding that little guy. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe you just want to relax. What is it for you? The next section we want to take a look at here is kind of the other main, main heading here where James says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Verse 16, he says it. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Right, so James is telling us, look, don't seek after, don't fall for those lures. They're gonna look good, but guess what? That's not coming from God. Don't be deceived. The good gifts, the perfect gifts are gonna come from him, are gonna come from when he's testing you when, or when you've been tested and maybe you're just trusting. There's blessing in that. See, there's a uh, movement going on and it's been going on for a while. It's called uh, humanistic relativism or just relativism for short, and it states that there's no objective truth. Or in other words, we make our own truth. Um, So you could say, uh, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for Austin is true for Austin. And like, you know, we're not gonna unpack that right now. We're not gonna do an apologetics course. Um, There's a lot of problems with that, obviously. But you know, the one thing that always comes to my mind is like, okay, so what if... What if my truth says yours is a lie, right? Is it still true? Um, <laughs> so, but that's where our culture is. You know, seniors, 
That's the culture you're going into. Where there, there is no objective truth. And, and you, I pray, we hope, are going to stand firm on something that never changes. You're going to believe and trust in the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Because the truth is, culture is constantly changing, right? Like, look at all the things uh, that were once popular or once the trend or once, you know, what everybody was doing and is now, is now no longer doing anymore. They're gone. Um, I think of, I thought of a few this morning. And, uh, like, no one does this, right? Use maps. What does everybody do now? GPS, right? Navigation. Now you have cars do it for you. What about this? Write letters. Anybody like wrote a letter on actual paper? Well, I know you. Yeah. <laughs> and I know several of you have, have a, a, definitely a blessing in ministry that, that do that around um, in the body of Oasis, and that's amazing. But, but most people, what? They, they call. They email. Um, anybody know what AIM is? Right? Yeah, anybody, anybody use that back in the day? That used to be the, the cool thing. I remember middle school, you know, we get on, hey, it's, it's an instant messenger thing on, on the internet you could use. Um, that was so cool. Uh, what about this one? House phones. Anybody still got a house phone? Wow. <laughs> um, here's one I was really hoping is gone, and man buns. Anybody remember that thing that was going on? This. this not good. <laughs> oh, hey, Mark. <laughs> um, or what about this one? This was pretty recent. Those, those fidget spinner things, right? I was like, I never even figured out the point of them, but like they were in, everybody had to get them, all the stores were having them, and now they're just like in a junk heap. Um, and people are like giving them away, fidget spinners, whatever. And this was my favorite one, and I think we can all probably relate, Blockbuster. Am I right? <laughs> I've heard there's only one left in the whole country. <laughs> but but culture is constantly changing. I mean, Netflix killed, you know, Hulu killed Blockbuster. Redbox, you know, missed the whole Blockbuster experience now. But culture does. Con- culture changes. Society changes. But Hebrews 13.8 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whew. I know, I just have to say amen every time I read that. That's like the same, the same God that before the foundations of the earth thought and conceived and designed and then spoke everything into being is the same one who paid our debt on the cross, is the same one who's going to come back for his people and dwell with them for eternity. Just blows my mind. See, while culture might change, God does not and has not changed. In a world of always shifting trends or styles and or you know common wisdom of the day, or um, what else? Like uh, obviously viewpoints, right? Now, I would say, like, there's, there's no new viewpoints. They're just rehashing of old ones that they're bringing back. But they change all the time. <clears throat> He's the only constant. He's the only thing that has been the same from the beginning of time till now. In fact, the Bible tells us that 
these things are going to happen, that there's going to be this change in, in wisdom, in society, in what people are doing or saying or thinking or, or saying you should be like or be thinking. And it comes in Proverbs 3, and it tells us, don't be wise in your own eyes, right? Don't just go with the flow or what's popular or uh, what everyone is talking about or demanding that you have to be. No, build your house on the rock, Because that Jesus in the desert with Israel is the same Jesus today. He's a timeless treasure. And the truth is, the blessing in that is, he's able to deal with anything in our lives. Just as, as he was able to speak everything into existence, able to take the debt that we owed on the cross, as he is going to come back and right all of the wrongs one day. He is the timeless treasure. And, and before we are lured, we have the victory through Jesus to resist temptation, to flee temptation, to be more than conquerors through Christ. And after, the after kind of math of temptation, if and when we are lured away, He's the forgiveness. He's the redemption. He's the repentance for sin, to to go and sin no more. I don't know where you fall today, but but I know what what is true now, and I know what's going to be true uh, the next time that I mess up the next time that I'm lured away. And, and it does. It happens to all of us. I mean, there's, there's temptations day in and day out. I just think of car shopping even recently. Gosh, this dude almost made me lose, lose my Jesus on there. I had to, like, Jesus, take the wheel. This guy's going out. Um, but, but I was, and I was tempted just to give, give in to frustration and anger. And uh, like I'll admit, I, I killed him several times in my heart on the way home from not buying the car that we had, we had talked about, we had agreed upon, we had talked over again, and then it was no longer going to be a reality. So we were still back to one vehicle for our family, which, praise the Lord, he has provided and he's faithful and has just uh, made that little thing last and will continue to. And I know he's got the right one out there. But the truth was, Jesus says, what, if, if you... If you harbor anger, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already murdered them. And so I did. I, I, had, I had to go and I, I had to repent. It's just the reality that we deal with. And there's, there's countless other ones. And I definitely don't want that list up on the screen. I don't know where you are, but I know what is true. That he's able to deal with anything in our lives. He's able to deal with any situation or circumstance. Whether it's trial or temptation. Whether it's testing Know that it produces character. That in those tests, God is seeking someone he's going to deeply use. Remember what A.W. Tozer said, he doesn't use anyone unless he tests them deeply first. He has to see that you are committed, that you are faithful. Sometimes I think we get confused and, and we think that there's, there's these uh, three paths to follow in life, right? There's the, uh, we know about the wide path, right? From Matthew uh, 7, 14, right? 
Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and that's the path that's easy, and it leads to destruction, and there's a narrow path with a narrow gate, and those who find it are few, and it's hard. But then I think we've invented this third one, uh, and it's like pretty wide, but it's a little bit more narrow than the really wide one, and it's what a lot of us uh, in, in church uh, like to follow, and it's kind of just the, I'm going to have Jesus and have the world too, and, and that just doesn't work. Because what ends up happening is, like we talked about on our camping trip, we get lured away. Those seeds, those seeds of the gospel that are sown get choked out. And now it's going to fall. All right, stay there. My prayer for us, my prayer for especially you seniors, is to remember that. Remember that narrow road, that, that narrow path and cling to it. Know that testing is going to come, and it's for your good. God has your best interests at heart. Know that temptation is going to come, and through Jesus, you have the power to resist and to overcome any of those trials. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you do test us. Lord, that in the testing, we are refined very often. And that the, what that produces, as you say, is a, is a faith that, that is, is worth its weight in gold. Lord, that's been refined and purified like silver. God, I pray for myself. I pray for all of us in here that you would use us deeply. That you would use the body of Oasis in a deeply and profound way in this community, in the city. Lord, I pray that when temptation comes, that we run to you, the rock, the only one who never changes. Lord, that we would stand firm in the victory that you've already won. Lord, that we would know that for the times we mess up, you've already paid that price, Lord, that we don't need to dwell in condemnation because we know that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Lord, and, and to stay there is to re-crucify you, as Paul would say. God, I pray just that we would walk, that we would live in that victory as people who are walking the narrow path together, Lord, that aren't fooled by the lures of this life. <clears throat> God, we pray just that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing in our lives each and every day. In the name of Jesus, amen.